You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Well, this morning we're uh, diving into our sixth week of the pursuit of happiness. And if you've been with us, you know that this series has been so good, hasn't it? Uh, God has been working. He's been challenging us. And, uh, and I want to encourage you that if you've missed a week or two because of, you know, the, through the end of the summer or uh, even in the last couple weeks, get online, get up to speed. Each and every one of these, they're building on each other to create how we are to live, how to be. And also, I've been encouraged to say that even if you're right here right now, I don't know how this works, but you can share online right as you're sitting right there. And uh, your friends that aren't here can join us by Facebook Live. And so we want to encourage you. And if you're watching on Facebook Live, we want to say welcome and uh, thank you for that. This series is based on the Beatitudes, rooted in Matthew chapter 5. And I want you to turn there, and I want to, we're going to start there and just kind of take a little uh, quick review since we're into our sixth week. And, and I know we've got some guests and some new folks here this morning as well. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 5. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. I love that. Can you imagine what that would have been like? The disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, first of all, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What that means is those that are poor, not financially, but spiritually, a poverty of spirit, that we are nothing without Jesus. Then it goes on, verse 4, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And the idea there is that we mourn over our lostness. We realize that we're lost, and we, it moves us. So we cry out, we We mourn. Then it says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We talked about meekness, and meekness is this idea that there's strength under control. Meek is not weak. But we are not called to lord it over people, but to serve strength under control. And then I love, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled that one in particular was extremely meaningful. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago to me. It's not the right rules and the right uh, boxes to check. We hunger and thirst for Jesus. He is the righteousness that we're going after. And it's not right doing. It's Jesus that we're supposed to model. And then last week, blessed are the, the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And we talked that you've got to be on the right side of justice to be able to give mercy. And if you're in that space, we are called, we are encouraged, challenged to give mercy. And the, the benefit is that we will receive mercy from a heavenly father who loves us. In each of these cases, it says blessed, right? The word there is makarios. And there's this idea that the people, when they heard this, the original audience, they would have leaned in. And on each of these, every single one so far, they would have taken a double take. They're saying, what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those are mourn. Those are, are meek. It didn't make sense. In every case, it was the opposite of what was celebrated normally in that culture. It was the opposite of what the standard operating procedure would have been, how to live your life or how you would have been encouraged to live. 
It was the opposite of what was expected. And the sixth beatitude, which we're going to tackle today, there's no exception there. There's another strange twist, so to speak. But before we get to there, I want to give you some historical context. We try to do that each week here. Especially for the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the rulers, the teachers of the law. They were big on rules. We've said that. And rules were a big deal. There were hundreds of laws that they were following. And when it came to the Pharisees in particular, they were really good at doing. Doing, doing, doing. They were conservative with Scripture. They were, they were toe the line, so to speak. They would fight for the law. They were, they were tithers. They were following the law. They would fast. They would pray. They would quote Old Testament Scripture. And you're saying, were the Pharisees all that bad? Probably not. They were revered in that culture. They were the ones that were looked up to. But the problem was is that it was all on the exterior. They weren't being who they had called, were called to be, and they weren't following these be attitudes, so to speak. And the crazy thing is that the Pharisees, they thought they were okay. And the crazy thing is that we think we're okay at times as well. There's one example of Pharisee in John chapter 3. The story is about Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. He was curious about Jesus and, and he's you know, trying to decide how do you get to heaven. And Jesus says in that passage, you can read it later, that you must be born again. And the scary truth is that there were Pharisees that thought that they had made it. In fact, they even thought that they were better than other people. But on judgment day, when they'd be judged, when they sit on the Bema seat, according to Scripture, they would be shocked that they didn't make it into heaven. And the truth is the same for us. There are those who think that they are saved and are not. People that you rub shoulders with that think they're okay in your office, in your family, in your neighborhood. People that are sitting in churches, maybe even here this morning, and you are not saved. People that have been baptized and are not saved. People that even believe in Jesus and will even talk about him a whole lot and are not saved. You say, how is that possible? If you believe in Jesus, you're saved, right? Listen, even Satan believes in Jesus. And there will be people that will be shocked, literally, on the day of judgment. And so the priority for us is to get our mind around that and to understand personally, but then how do we use this knowledge outside in the world and where we rub shoulders with people that need this message. And the priority is that we must have a spiritual birth, according to John chapter 3. The only way to see Jesus is by his righteousness covering us. It's his purity. It's not our good works. And that's when we come to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Let's look at it. The verse for today. Verse 8 says this. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see see God. A simple little phrase. Let's get it down in our heart. Let's say it together. Will you say it with me? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
When you break down this verse, we know what blessed means. We've talked about that over and over. What does it mean to be pure? It's pretty simple, straightforward. It means to be cleansed, to be purged, to be blameless. No mix-up, so to speak. No spot, no wrinkle. And if Jesus were to stop there and say, blessed are the pure, the Pharisees would have said, okay, here's my resume. I've got this licked. Because they lived, in many ways, a blameless life. They were following the rules. They're saying, hey, I'm in. I'm okay. If they would just stop there, but Jesus doesn't just stop and say, blessed are those that are pure or those that are pure in action. Jesus doesn't say that. Instead, he says that they, the blessed are pure in heart. That's what Jesus desires. That's what God desires. It's the spiritual center of life. He's dealing with our soul, our heart, where our thoughts and our desires and our sense of purpose come, where our will is established, where our character resides. That's why in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says that above all else, we need to guard our heart or our soul for everything flows from there. We need to guard our heart. We need to guard our soul. When you look at Scripture and you understand what Scripture, how it describes us as humans, it's important to know that 1 Thessalonians 5.23 describes us as a three-part being. Spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. And it's interesting, this week as I was studying and diving in, there was one pastor that, that talked about salvation affecting our spirit and our soul in a different light, in a different way. I'd never heard this uh, quite like it, but I, it resonated with me. The idea, he said, is that your spirit at salvation is instantly saved. That's justification. That we're covered by the blood of Jesus. We look like Jesus because we're covered with his righteousness. And we've talked about that over the last couple weeks. And that's our spirit. But our soul, the heart, right, our mind, will, and emotions at salvation, the process just is beginning. It's not instant. It's progressive. We call that sanctification. A growing to be holy, to be set apart. And it's interesting to me that, you know, there are examples we can all point to, even in our own lives. Think back, if you're saved, if you've given your heart to the Lord, when you first got saved, you felt new, you felt like your heart was clean because it was, but then you start living and you start going back to old habits or things that you didn't even maybe know that were a problem, and all of a sudden, your soul, your heart is being tweaked and you start to grow. Yes, at salvation, sometimes old habits, old issues, they will die right at the moment. I've got a friend that was an alcoholic. He got saved and literally went home and took all of the alcohol in his cupboards and dumped it down the drain just like that. And he's never struggled ever again. That same friend, though, in regards to his language, in some other areas of his life, and maybe some purity things, he struggled over time, and he's progressively growing. And so you'd say, man, what do we do with that? The problem, church, 
is our souls. As humans, we have a soul or a heart problem. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, we see some insight here. Jesus, at another time, he's, he's sharing again about the same kind of thing. He says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. Where does it come from? The heart, the soul, right? And then in verse 19, it says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. This is what Jesus is addressing here in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And the, the, the Pharisees and those hearing, they're busted. They're going to struggle with this. This is where the Pharisees struggled. And so do we, by the way. They might be clean in action, clean, doing right things, which there is value in doing the right thing, no doubt about it. But when it came to their heart, were they clean? And that's what Jesus was desiring. There's another verse in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus is getting really uh, close uh, to, the, to the Pharisees. In fact, by this time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, they hated Jesus because he would say things like this. Woe to you, teachers of the law, verse 25 of uh, Matthew 23. says, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish. In other words, you're doing the right things. You look good on the outside, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. And then he goes on, blind Pharisee, first clean the inside. That's the heart, the soul of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean. Remember two weeks ago when we talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we said, don't worry about holy. Worry about your hunger. How hungry are you for Jesus? And when you're hungry for Jesus, holy will be a byproduct. And Jesus here, he's, it's important for us not to just blow by this. We need to apply this in our lives. How do we clean the heart? How do, what does that look like? Is it, it, it's only by the blood of Jesus. We know that. When you go back to the Sermon on the Mount and you start to study the Sermon on the Mount, it's a great message. It's the first message recorded uh, in Scripture uh, in its entirety of what Jesus would have shared. And of course, each of these Beatitudes are gripping. But later in chapter 5, verse 20, in regards to this topic, Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds or surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, this would just rock their world. How are we, can we be better than the best of the best? And then he goes on and talks about murder. And it's not just murder, but it's the inside, the soul, the heart in regards to anger. He talks about adultery, and it's, it's the lust in the heart 
that's where it starts. And he talks about giving an oath, even in our giving, not, not letting our right hand know what our left hand is doing. Our fasting, we don't fast and make it public. We do, we do it in private so that God will give us the reward. And then he talks about judging others, and he goes on and on. And in chapter 7, verse 21, when he's wrapping up this great Sermon on the Mount message, look what it says. It says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to us. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and your, in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. And he's talking to people that were doing the right things on the outside, but their hearts were far from God. Their hearts were not clean. Blessed are the pure in heart. It's not about the rules. Jesus' desire is a single Focus in regards to our heart towards God. That we would not be hypocrites, no guile, no hidden motives. And when we come to that place, there's blessing. Blessed are the pure in heart. And the promise is, for they will see God. I love this. They will see God. And it only happens by the blood of Jesus. In fact, in Psalm 24, uh, if you turn with me quick there, and you're going to want to keep your finger there uh, for the remainder of the service because we'll come back to this. But Psalm 24, verse 3 says, Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Right? In other words, who can be in the presence of God? Who can stand in his holy place, it says? And look what verse 4 says. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Hold your finger there. We're going to come back to that. That's the primary goal, is that we would see God, that we would be able to ascend the mountain of, of the Lord, that we'd be in his presence. And yes, it's talking about heaven in regards to eternity, but it also is that we get to see him on this side of eternity as well. We bring heaven to earth. We see him manifested now in the lives of those whose lives he died for. And that's each and every one of us. And trust me, when, we, we, when you understand this, we want to see God, don't we? But the problem, again, is that we have a soul problem. Our emotions, our will, our desires. And before we beat ourselves up real bad, and just say, man, we're, we're in trouble. Some of the elite in Scripture had a soul problem as well. In fact, it's the human condition. The example that came to my mind this week was King David. King David was considered to be a man after God's own heart. Many of you know the story. He's a man after God's heart, but in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, which, by the way, was in our soap reading, our Bible reading this last week, and hopefully you read it. But there, it's a story, those two chapters, of sin and compromise and this huge cover-up. And what I think is interesting is that David, the way I read it, I think David thought he was okay, that he had gotten away with it. 
And sin and compromise we see in this story messed David up. In fact, I was thinking and just kind of meditating on it, and I believe that sin and compromise is like calluses that are built up over time. Maybe calluses that are on your feet that get built up over time. So maybe starts with a blister and there's a little uncomfortable, but then you do the same exercise, you do the same thing over, and all of a sudden uh, you become numb to the pain. The callus gets hardened, right? And so we don't feel it, so to speak. It reminded me about seven or eight years ago of my feet. In fact, I've got a picture of my feet about, uh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, sorry about that. And um, I mean, just my feet were full of calluses. And I ended up going to district council and, uh, and they were offering free foot massage and pedicures and manicures. And I thought, man, it couldn't hurt. And so I had them start working on my feet. And what it was crazy. I mean, they got out the big tools. I mean, they were cutting things off and, and scraping and sanding. And, and uh, what normally took 15 minutes, I mean, I was there for 35 minutes. And they're working on my feet and massaging, and, and then they were moisturizing. And I'm telling you, my feet went from callous to being smooth and soft. Like, I mean, just always, oh, it, like, it was incredible, the transformation. I mean, look at that. And I thought, everyone ought to do this. I mean, come on. Until the very next night, district council got over on Wednesday night, Thursday night was basketball night. I show up on the basketball floor, and I'm telling you, I played one game, and my feet were screaming. I took my shoes off, and my feet were back to bad shape. Look at that, just bad blistered. I'm sorry to have to share this with you, but it was, it was, it was so, so bad The worst mistake ever. Don't ever. And get that picture off it. That's just gross. <laughs> Sin and compromise are like calluses. You, it hides the sensitivity spiritually that you might have once had. Hidden sin. Let's just consider David's life for a moment here. There was a progression. He's not out with his men like he's supposed to. There was some compromise there. He sees Bathsheba, which, I mean, we're all, you know, guys, we see things that, that will uh, maybe catch our attention. But it was not only that he see, but he took a second look, and that's where he got in trouble. And then he not only takes a second look, he investigates. Hey, who is that? He calls her over to play some cards and maybe drink some tea. Maybe that's not what his intentions were. But he ends up sleeping with her, Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. He calls her husband in off of the field. Can you see the, the hardening over time? It's like a callus, right? He calls in the husband. The, the husband is is honorable guy. She, he won't sleep with his own wife because he's supposed to be out fighting with the other men. And so David puts him out on the front line. And there's layers and layers of compromise. There's layers of sin. And it calloused his heart. It made him numb to what was happening. It hardened him. You see how that works? Just like my old feet. 
before they were destroyed again. What's my heart for us this morning? Here at the Gateway Church, if you're connecting here on a regular basis, my heart is that we would have a sensitivity to things of the Spirit, that we would have a pure heart, a heart that would be devoted, heart and soul, to Jesus, so to speak. Knowing, yes, that Makarios, that blessing will come, yes, but that our conscience would be sensitive like those soft feet on the in-between of that illustration, that we would feel the prick of the Holy Spirit, that our conscience would be alive, that we'd be sensitive towards God. That's my heart for myself and my heart for you. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, what happened to David. If you read it this week, you know, but if you didn't, the prophet Nathan comes and exposes David's sin. And, I mean, David is busted. And David's response is recorded in Psalm 51. In fact, I want you to turn with me there, Psalm 51. Psalm 51. It's worth reading the whole chapter. Uh, I would encourage you to do that. But what we see here is David's response. David, even though he had messed up seriously, his heart was softened when Nathan, the prophet, exposed him. He was sensitive. He was aware of his unrighteousness. And look what he starts off in verse 1. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to my, your unfailing love. Verse 3, for I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned. Verse 7 says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Verse 10, and this is a kind of a key here. Create in me a pure heart, O God. A pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And in verse 17, uh, it says, My sacrifice, God, is a broken spirit. He was soft in his heart, a broken and contrite heart or soul. You, God, do not despise. This morning, I want us to have that kind of response when it comes to our sin and compromise in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that over these next few moments, Lord, that you would just continue to capture our hearts and our minds. Lord, do what only you can do in this moment. God, you can restore us. You can help us. You can challenge us. You can cover us and make our hearts new. But Lord, in order to do that, we understand that it takes a surrendering to you, not only believing in you, but confessing our sin and making our hearts right before you. And Lord, trusting in your promise that you will save those who call on your name. Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. This morning as we come to a time of response. I want to speak to maybe those that are here and are aware.
away from God or don't know the Lord as your personal Savior. And I think the big question for me is, what are you basing your eternity on? What, what is going to get you to heaven? If you think your good works are going to cause you to make it to heaven, you are mistaken according to Scripture. In fact, if you think that it's your good works or, or your outward uh, righteousness, uh, just think of this, that Jesus would have died for nothing if it's your good works that will get you there. But this morning, the truth of God's word is that we are all sin. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And we all need a Savior. And we all need to not only believe, but we need to confess our sins. And the Bible says when we confess our sin, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us. He gives us a new life. It's through him. And if you're here this morning and you need that, I'm going to pray a simple prayer prayer we call the a salvation prayer and this could be your prayer i want you to agree with me and uh and i want this to become your own and in just a moment we're going to ask us all to respond in another way but when we do i want you to respond as well if this is your prayer let me pray lord i just am sorry for the things i've done wrong <laughs> i've i've made mistakes i'm a sinner and I know that no matter how much good I do, it's never good enough to make it to heaven. I need you, Jesus, your blood to cover me, to cleanse me, to make me whole. And so, Lord, right now, I put my faith in you. I believe in you. I confess my sin to you. Lord, take my sin as far as the east is from the west, according to your word. And, Lord, I'm asking that you would save me. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning, that's your prayer. You say, man, I, I need that. I, I agreed with you, Pastor. I want you just to slip up your hand here. Just make yourself known. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But I do want to uh, connect with you. Yes, see that hand. Thank you. Who else? service saying, yep, that's where I am today. I, I needed that prayer. That's my prayer. Lord, save me. Anyone else? Just want to give you that opportunity. All right. There was just one, and I'll connect with you, sir, here after the service for sure. For the rest of us, could you just stand here for a moment? This morning, as we talk about being pure in heart, it's a surrender, giving everything over to God. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, my desire is to surrender, to give my whole life to God, that my pursuit would be to be a, a, a heart, to have a heart, a soul that is pure before the Lord. I'm going to ask you to do something, and we're going to do this together. My guess is most of us may move, and that's, that's kind of what I envision. But I want us to move to the altar or move out of our seats, change our position. And we've created an opportunity here to 
worship in response, telling God that we will give it all. Lord, we want everything. We don't want anything within us to be holding us back. And if that's your heart, if you desire a pure heart, as we worship here together in response, and you can go ahead, that we would respond together and find ourselves at the altar in the aisles, changing our position. Let's sing this together. presence of God in moments like this, it softens our heart. The Lord is doing some cutting, some sanding on those calloused, those hard places. And our response, I pray, will be like David, saying, have mercy on me. No matter where you are in your life, no matter where you are in your journey, this is a good posture. When you step out, when you come forward, you're saying, have mercy. Verse 10 says, create in me a pure heart, O God. If you're hungry for a pure heart, it comes from being in his presence. Renew a steadfast spirit. Then it says in verse 11, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The Lord, he helps us when we call upon him. He's softening hearts even this moment. He's creating a situation where we've got a clean heart. It's what we need. It's what I need. Back in Psalm 24, I encourage you to keep your finger there, and I didn't realize it would take this long to get there, but in Psalm 24, there's a, a moment uh, uh, where it says, who can ascend the hill, the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And then I said earlier, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Well, there's a song that we have have uh, learned to sing over the last couple months called Good Grace. It's a benediction song. And what we want to do is, it's based on this, that passage in Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. And we want to sing it uh, with some strength and some authority, and almost like a commissioning song as we leave here. That God, He's the one that helps us. He's purified us. He's the one that's shaved off the, the insanded, the, the callous, the hardness. But it's Him. It's, it's He who does the work inside of us. It's His good grace that does the work. And so we're going to sing that. And then uh, I'm going to be at the back doors here. At the end of the song, we'll, we'll dismiss and say goodbye. And I want every single person here to take this little sheet. This is an assignment that on Monday, tomorrow, that we would all together work through this little list. It basically takes our beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And we want to reread Samuel, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, the story of David and Bathsheba, and then uh, the prophet Nathan uh, exposing him. And then we read through Psalm 51 and a couple of key verses. And then what is the Lord speaking to you? We want this to not only affect us here, but for the rest of this week. And we want to do Monday devotions together. And so I'll be passing these out in the lobby, and uh, we'll do that. But before we do that, I want, I want you just to 
with all intensity, with all the strength. I want to hear you nice and loud. We're going to celebrate together. This is a song of victory. It's a victory chant. And without further ado, let's go ahead and dive in. And I want to hear you nice and loud. Amen? Amen. Here we go. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you today and we give you all the praise and glory and honor. And we pray that you will go before us, that you will be behind us, and that you would be all around us as we go out this week. And it's all in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you as you go this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.com church.